your Bibles with you this morning, go ahead and open up to, uh, actually, you know what, I'm just, I'm used to saying that. Hopefully you got one of these books of Mark uh, when you came in. If you did not get one of these books of Mark, it's super cool. It's just uh, scripture on the left-hand side, line pages on the right-hand side, so you can take notes and follow along. We got them for everybody so that you can follow along with us. If you don't have one, you can go ahead and raise your hand and our ushers will get one out to you. You can just keep it up. My neighbors over there need one. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, a couple people. Keep your hand up and the ushers will bring them out to you. There's no Bible like your Bible. I encourage you to mark it up, make notes, highlight things, circle things, draw question marks, smiley faces, whatever it is. Go through it during the week, tear it apart, and really dive in because we believe that God's word has the power to absolutely transform and to change your life. And so we just wanted to be able to invest in you and uh, have you be able to go through this with us. In um, Mark chapter 2, actually Mark part 2, we're not quite to chapter 2 yet, but on page number 8, we're going to be starting today, which is so cool that we can say page number that we're beginning on, but it's uh, Mark chapter 1 verse 14 is where we're going to be starting today. And I purposely didn't put this scripture on the screens because I wanted you all to be able to follow along in your Bibles with that. And this is what it says. It says, Jesus begins his ministry. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Sorry, I spilled water on my Bible, so I'm like, oh gosh, no. I'm spilling a lot of water on my Bible. I don't think you're supposed to do that to, to paper Bibles. That's why we bought a whole bunch of them. There you go. Now it's a real Bible because it's all stained. Um, where was it? Okay, so what Jesus is saying is he starts off by saying that the, the time is fulfilled. Uh, what he's saying is that, that Jesus doesn't just appear. It wasn't like one day he woke up and said, you know what, after breakfast today, I'm going to go save humanity from all their sins. That sounds like a good thing to do today. What he's saying is that what he is doing, his appearance and his ministry, his proclamation is all a part of what God has been at work in doing since before creation ever was. Before there was ever a bang, God had a plan knowing that humanity would fall away from him, knowing that we would reject him and rebel against him, and that he would have to come and be the one who restores us and to save us from our sin so that there can be reconciliation with God and that we can have all of creation restored back to what God always created it to be. So he starts by saying, look, this isn't just like a freak thing that's happening. What you're seeing in me is the fulfillment of everything that God has been working through all through human history. And he then says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, what's a kingdom? A kingdom just means it's the, the sphere of influence that a king has. And the king of France, they, I mean, they don't have that, but when there was a king of France, uh, he got to do whatever he wanted in France. His rules and his edicts carried power and authority inside of the nation of France because he was their king. Now, what he said in Norway, that nobody cared like what you say in Norway because you're the king of France, not the king of Norway. What Jesus is saying is that the kingdom of God has now come to earth. And that is him making the claim that he is the king, that the king has come and that now he's exerting his influence and he's seeing his power exercised on the face of the earth to defeat all of the forces of darkness so that we can be a people who are restored and are freed and made right with God once again. And then he says, in light of the fact that the king has come and that the kingdom of God is now here on the face of the earth, you need to repent. Now what repentance means is a lot of times you think of repentance, like I have to get on my knees, say some Hail Marys, drink some things, give some money, whatever. That's not what repentance means. What repentance means is actually to change the way that you think. 
It means that you're going to change the way that you're thinking. You were thinking one way because it used to be that you were following something else. There was some greatest power, source of authority that was in your life that you were following after. In our culture, we're very individualistic. So for most of us, it's that we've been following ourselves and our own wills, our own desires, and it's led us to ruin. And what Jesus says is, in light of the fact that the king is here, the long-promised king who has now come and the kingdom of God has come to the earth, now what I want you to do is to change the way that you think. So you're not living the way that you used to, but instead now you're thinking through the lens of Jesus being king and the kingdom of God and his power and authority being exercised here and now. And then he ends this statement at the beginning of his ministry by saying, and believe in the gospel. That word gospel, like we talked about last week, it means joyous tidings. It means good news that changes your future and your reality. Everything is changed by the gospel. It was oftentimes a new Roman emperor, would, they'd have people go out and say, good news, you know, Emperor Augustus is in charge now, your reality has been changed, everything is going to be all better. Our politicians still do that today. They, good news, so-and-so's president, life is going to be all better, economy is going to be good, people are going to hold hands in kumbaya, life is going to be awesome. Never happens. It's always an empty promise. But Jesus says that there's good news. There's joyous tidings that change everything about our reality because Jesus, the Son of God, has come. And he's come to restore all things. He's come to restore us to him. He's come to restore us to each other. He's come to restore us back to the way that we were always created to be. He says that I want you to believe the gospel message that I bring to you. But this isn't where Jesus stops. I think a lot of times in America, our view of Christianity is just that we believe that Jesus is God. I think it's 75, 80% of all Christians, or not Christians, all Americans in surveys would say that they are Christians. They believe Jesus is God, that uh, they ascribe to the Christian faith. But our country doesn't look like 75 to 80% of people are Christians. When you look at the violence, when you look at racism, when you look at sexual abuse, when you look at you know, uh, greed and, and everything else that we continue to see itself play out, it doesn't look like we are a people who believe in the gospel. It doesn't look like we're a people who are having our lives changed and transformed by the fact that the king of heaven has come to earth to see his kingdom expand here as he restores us. And the reason for that is because belief doesn't actually change you. How many of you believe you need to diet and exercise, live a long, healthy life, all that kind of stuff? Nobody. You guys have no belief in anything. One person. Uh, okay, here's another question. You all know that. You all know that you should not, not just lay on the couch eating, you know, two dozen Dom's donuts, although, honestly, we've probably all been there at one point or another. But there's very few people who allow that belief to change their life. Like, I believe I should diet and exercise, but you can tell by looking at me, I'm not actually following a diet or an exercise program. Because just believing that I need to diet and exercise isn't going to bring any health into my life. A belief has the power to absolutely do nothing inside of you. I'm like the anti-motivational speaker, right? <laughs> just believe and you can achieve. No, it starts with a belief, but belief is always meant to lead you into something else. A belief in a diet that can change your life and an exercise plan that can change your life is always meant to then lead you to the place of where you start to follow the plan, and that brings change inside of your life. And so what Jesus is doing is he says, I want you to believe in me, but it has to be more than belief. Simply believing in me won't actually change your life. You can continue to live just the way that you were before you ever heard the name of Jesus, completely unchanged. And in fact, this is what actually, on the next page, when you flip over to page number 10, 
in verse 21. This shows you that belief doesn't actually have the power to change your life and restore you in relationship to God. It says in verse 21, And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. It says that Jesus rebuked him, told him to be silent, and the spirit came out of him. Well, what's happened is Jesus goes into the synagogue, (coughs) excuse me, and he's teaching about the fact that the king has come, that the king has come to destroy all of the powers of the domain of darkness that has been influencing us and affecting us. And uh, there's, you know, demons that are existing in the world. I'm not one of those people that thinks, like, there's a demon behind everything. If you play the record backwards, you're going to hear the demon speak to you. Like, I'm not that guy. But I also recognize the fact that there are spiritual beings that are at work in our world. And what's happened is as Jesus is proclaiming that the true king is here, the demon who's been having so much influence inside of this person, it's like, you know, like in the horror movies, like, and like, you know, the head spins around, the demon manifests and starts talking and is like, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. The demon recognized who Jesus was. The demon believed in Jesus. The demon believed in the gospel. Demons have better theology than we have. Like, they know. We have a lot of questions about things. Demons know. They were there. Like, they saw God. They were angels in heaven that rebelled, and then they they were kicked out. But demons believe, but yet nothing's happened. If the power of belief in the gospel alone was enough to change your life, then the demons would not be demons. You can believe in the gospel, you can believe in Jesus, you can believe in God and the plan of God and live your life completely unaffected. Because belief is always meant to lead us to the place of where we now begin to follow. Demons aren't following Jesus. But hopefully what's happened is that something was stirred up inside of your heart When God revealed himself to you and his goodness to you, you believed in Jesus, that he was the son of God, that he bought the forgiveness of your sins on the cross, that he reigns and rules now and forevermore, and that he is restoring us, and that you enter into relationship and reconciliation with God through Jesus and his atoning death on the cross. But now that belief in who he is, the message of the gospel, is supposed to lead you to follow after him. And this is what happens, is when you go down here, um, after, oh man, sorry, my page flipped over again. This is the one drawback to not using an iPad, is that pay, pages move and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but when you go down here and he begins to now call people, it says on page uh, number 8 in verse 16, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Simon, you go backwards, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting that into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets to follow him. And going on a little farther, he saw James and John, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father in the boat with the hired servants and followed after him. See, what Jesus is doing is is he's been appearing, he's been teaching, performing miracles and signs and wonders that have led people to believe that he is indeed the Son of God. And now he says, I want you to turn your belief in who I am into something else. I want you to become someone who now follows after me. That's the call. Hey, Simon. Hey, James. Hey, John. Get out of that boat. Come follow after me. 
Now, if you don't believe Jesus is the Son of God, you're not going to follow after him. Hey, stranger, why don't you just keep moving along? You know, like, I got a net, don't come any nearer. But because of the fact that they believe in who Jesus is, now Jesus says, turn that into action. Come and follow after me. It says that immediately they got up and they left. They left the boat. Their dad's out there in the boat. Uh, some of you dads, you might not appreciate this story as much. Like, I've got a family business I'm running. We're all out there working in the boat. We've been doing this for generations and generations. And then, like, they just leave me here in the boat by myself. But they walked away from everything. They walked away from family. They walked away from their business. They walked away from relationship. They walked away from security. All of these things they walked away from because Jesus came and because they believed in who he was when he said, follow after me, they were willing to get up and to leave everything behind. You weren't created just to believe in Jesus. You were created to follow after Jesus. Why is that? Why is it that we can't just believe? And the reason for that is because what Jesus did, remember, he's the one who comes to restore all things. He comes to restore us to relationship. He comes to restore us to the plans and the purposes and the calls of God on every single one of us. But when we were, when we were far from him, we were at this place where we were in bondage to sin. We were enslaved to sin. We couldn't do anything to free ourselves. We couldn't do anything to make ourselves right with God. But Jesus came to us, and he broke the chain of spiritual slavery over us. He set us free and then said, come after me now. If we don't follow after Jesus after the moment of belief, then what happens is we actually go right back into the slavery and into all of the sin that he came to set us free from. Why is it that, that people who are alcoholics when, when they finally get sober, why is it they stop hanging out in bars? Because they have to go somewhere else. The freedom that they have now means that if they want to continue to walk in freedom and to be more and more sober and more and more free, they can't just stay in the place they used to be when they were addicted. If you just continue to hang out in the same place you were, you're going to go back to drinking again because it's all around you. It's what's familiar. It's what's comfortable to you. You can't stay in the same place. You have to go and to follow after him. When Jesus comes to you and he breaks the power of sin and death over you and the slavery to sin that had just been defining who you were for so long, if you just stay in that place, thanks, Jesus, I believe, I believe that. So thankful for it. See you in heaven. Like what's going to happen to you? You're just going to stay right where you are. There will be no restoration inside of your life. Instead, what happens is Jesus, he comes and he frees you in the place where you're at. He breaks all of the chains of sin that are over you, that have been keeping you where you are. And then he says, now follow me into restoration. Follow me into the plans, into the purposes that I have for your life. What I have for you, you can't do if you stay right here. This is the place you were when I found you, when I came to you and rescued you and freed you, but this isn't the place that I've created you to live in and to spend the rest of your life in. I'm calling you to more. I'm calling you out of that place. You were living as a slave, now I'm calling you to be free. Come follow me. You were living in a tomb. You were spiritually dead, but I brought you to life, now I'm calling you. Step out of the tomb. Move into life. There's plans and purposes that I have for you that can't be fulfilled if you stay right there so come on and follow after me follow after me walk out of the place that you used to be in follow after me and I will lead you into life everlasting follow after me and I will lead you into freedom follow after me and I will take you into the fullness of all of my plans and my purposes and my blessings for your life but if you stay in that same place to saying Jesus I believe 
your life will remain unchanged. In fact, what will happen is if you just believe, when you stay in that place and all of the bondage begins to come back on you, man, I guess I don't believe. I thought Jesus could change me. I'm just like I always was before. I thought Jesus could save me, but I feel more oppression than I ever felt before. I feel more hopeless than I ever felt before. And the reason for that is because he came to you and he's calling you to some other place, but you're just remaining stationary. You're remaining in that place of where he was when he came and he found you. Jesus didn't mean for you to live there forever. Jesus came and he's leading you into restoration. He's leading you into being a changed person with a renewed mind. Uh, last week, at the end of the service, I was talking about, hey, if you made a decision to follow Jesus, uh, and what, you go out there on 94 and someone cuts you off and you use a bad word, I don't feel condemned about that. It doesn't mean you're not a Christian, blah, blah, blah. What it means is that when Jesus came and found you, your mouth was really bad, and now he's leading you into a place of where now blessings are going to start flowing out of your mouth instead of cursing. But you're probably still going to swear for a while because it's going to take a while for Jesus to restore and to change your mind so you can continue to walk more and more into freedom and restoration. Now, 30 years if you're still doing that, like, let's have a conversation. But what Jesus wants to do is just gradually keep working you into restoration. So after I tell that story, or that just ends or whatever, I'm on my way home at 94. Some, the sweetest, oldest lady in the entire world is driving her car down 94. And so I'm going to pass her because she's doing like 15 miles an hour on the highway, right? That's probably not even legal. And as I'm like passing her, she just decides like this is a time to change lanes and completely runs me off the road. And I didn't swear. Like God's done a work in my heart. There were no bad words, but I murdered her in my heart. <laughs> and I was like, Jesus, forgive me. I'm like, Jesus, I need to follow after you again because I need you to continue to change my heart so that I can bless that sweet little old lady who tried to kill me on 94 on my way home from church. So here's the thing. It's good when you recognize that you still need the work of Jesus inside of you. It's bad when you get to the place like, I'm perfect, I don't need Jesus. Like, and you've met people like that. Like, what do you struggle with? I don't struggle. I got saved by Jesus and I haven't struggled since. Like, shut up. You're such a liar. Like, you're deluded. <laughs> If you don't struggle, you're either dead or you're deluded, one of the two. But every single one of us, Jesus is restoring us, but it only happens as we follow after him. Jesus, in my mind, I killed an old lady on 94. God, I'm repenting. I need you to change the way that I think. I'm going to follow after you, become more like you. Jesus, I need you to lead me into more freedom. I need, to change, I need you to lead me into more renewing of my mind so I can love that sweet old lady and just speak blessings over her and pray for her. But I can't stay here. I can't stay where it was that Jesus found me. He came to me to free me. He came to me to restore me. That's the good news of the gospel. And not just to save me from my sins, but to lead me in an entirely new way of living my life. Now, the story of Levi is just one more example of this in Mark chapter 2. So if you turn over to page number 14, it starts in verse 13 of chapter 2. And this is what I want us to just focus on in, in the last few minutes that we have here of what it means to follow after Jesus. And it says this, He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to see him as he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. 
As he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. You know, I love this story so much. It's because I can see myself in Levi. This is a story I can relate to. And the other reason I love this story so much is because of what it shows about God and, and what his heart is. I love it. He, he comes to Levi, who was a sinner and a tax collector. I love they, they have these two words they're using a lot in the Bible. Uh, there was the sinners, which was a catch-all for anybody that wasn't following after God, whatever it might be. Uh, or like if you were a drunk or a prostitute or whatever, like you were considered a sinner. Or if you were not Jewish, you were a sinner. And then the other thing that they say is like, just as bad as that is being a tax collector. Like even back then, people hated the tax man. And so like Jesus is going and he comes up to Levi who's sitting in the booth. Levi was of the tribe of Levi. He's supposed to be a Jew uh, who was ministering to other people. But instead of ministering to other people and for God, he's working for the Roman government who's unjustly occupying the land they live in and oppressing them. And he's extorting his own Jewish people for his own financial gain. See, what the Romans did is said, this is what you have to collect from people, and anything you collect on top of that, you get to keep. So if you owed 100 bucks, the tax man would say you owe 200. He'd give 100 to the Romans, and he'd keep 100 for himself. How many of you know nobody liked Levi? Like, I wouldn't like Levi. <laughs> I'll pay all my taxes, but I'm not paying more. So he was in that, like, the lowest of the low people, this tax collector. He's a sinner. And it says that Jesus comes to him. Levi's probably like, all right, here comes Jesus. I'm going to get me some money from him. And he's expecting to demand something to Jesus. And Jesus comes up to him and says, follow me. It says that Levi gets up and he follows after Jesus. He takes Jesus back to his home to throw a meal for him, to celebrate what God has done inside of his life, that God would love him enough to come to him when everybody else hated him, despised him, rejected him. And it says that the house is full of other sinners and tax collectors. It said, for many followed him. What it's saying is that the people that are following after Jesus, it's all the sinners and the tax collectors. They're the ones that are being magnetically drawn to Jesus. They're the ones who are putting their belief in Jesus. They're putting their belief in the gospel. They're the ones who are getting up and leaving everything else behind to follow after Jesus. And I love that because I can see myself in the sinners and the tax collectors that Jesus came to me. He didn't come to them and say, get straightened up, get cleaned up, get less drunk, less addicted, stop being sexually immoral, stop being greedy, whatever, and then come follow after me. He comes to you in as much brokenness as you've ever been in, as much sin as you've ever been in, and he says, come and follow after me. It's in the following after me that the restoration's going to come. It's in the following after me that the healing's going to come to you. It's not that you sit here in your bondage and say, I'm going to get myself right. I'm going to get myself right. Like, you have a better chance of trying to light your, light, like, light your butt up like a lightning bug. Like, ah, ah, light up. Like, you're never going to do it. That was wild there. You're never going to be able to make yourself right and to fix yourself and clean yourself up. It only happens by the power of God working in you as you follow after Jesus. The Pharisees, though, this is the way religious systems work. They're freaked out. They're like, why is Jesus hanging out with all these sinners and tax collectors? Ugh. They think it's a sign of the fact that Jesus isn't God. 
If you're really God, you would know who these people are that you're hanging out with, and you wouldn't have anything to do with them. The religious systems say, get yourself cleaned up. Pick yourself up. Make yourself right. Make yourself respectable. And then you can come and follow after God. But Jesus says, no. Right where you're at, in all of your sin, in all of your addiction, and all of your brokenheartedness, and all of your greed, and all of your sexual immorality, and all of your everything else that's been done to you, everything that you've been engaged in, he comes to you and he says, believe in me. Believe in the gospel. Believe in the good news that the king has come, that God has come, and have broken the power of sin and bondage and death that's been entrapping you and been ensnaring you for so long. And I'm going to lead you into full restoration. Just follow after me. Don't just believe in me and stay here. Follow after me. It's one step. Come on. You can do this. Follow after me. The people whose lives were changed were the sinners and the tax collectors. Jesus worked restoration in them. The people whose lives remained unchanged were the Pharisees and the scribes. You know what the difference is between the sinners and, and the scribes and the Pharisees? The sinners recognized that they were broken. The sinners recognized that they need a savior. The sinners recognized that they need restoration. The scribes and the Pharisees, they're so sick that they can't even see how sick they are. That's the worst kind of place to be in. Is when you are so deluded that you can't see how desperately you need Jesus. People say Christianity is a crutch for the weak. I couldn't agree more. I just think every single human being on the face of this earth is in need of the crutch that Jesus offers us in salvation from our sins and the ability to transform and to restore our lives. It's the people who aren't able to see their own brokenness and their own sickness and their own darkness that exists inside of their heart. Those are the ones that are scary. Jesus comes to you right where you're at. Come on. I love you. I gave my life for you. There's destiny in you. There's purpose in you. I've come to bring you hope. I've come to restore you. I've come to bring healing to you. I've come to bring redemption to you. I've come to lead you into this life that you were always created to live, but that you've never been able to live out because of the place that you find yourself in because of sin in you. And here's what following Jesus will do. Let's go through my points really quick because I'm always out of time in my intro. When you decide that you're going to follow after Jesus, you're going to get up and leave everything else behind because now the belief is being turned into something. Your belief is being turned into following after Jesus. The first thing that it does is it gives you a new identity. This Levi, this is the last time he's referred to as Levi. After this, every time you read about him, he's called Matthew. The word Levi means to be bound to someone. He was supposed to be bound to God, ministering to God and to be ministering to other people. But instead, what sin had done in him is it caused him to become someone who was now bound to sin and bound to the Roman government. Instead of serving God and the people, he was serving a false god, the Romans, and he was extorting the people he had been called to serve. So God gave him a new identity. When he decided to follow after Jesus, the old identity they had as a tax collector, someone who was despised and rejected by everybody else because of what it was that he was done and the identity that he'd received because of that, that was broken off of him. And Jesus gave him the new identity of Matthew, which means gift of God. That's the new identity that Matthew had. 
It might have been that other people once despised you and rejected you because you were a burden and you were abusing other people. But I give you a new identity. As you follow after me, I so transform you and I so reshape you that you're no longer the extorter of other people and the abuser of other people, but now you are the gift of God to other people. That's the new identity that God gave Matthew. And it's the same thing that he does in us. Every one of us has an identity because every one of us has been following a God. And if you're into you know, studying these things, you know that what gods do is they always give you uh, an identity. Whatever God it is that you follow, it always gives you an identity. So in our culture, what are the gods? We serve money. You have an identity that's been given to you by our culture if you follow after the God of money. You're poor, you're rich, you're middle class. You have an identity that you receive from money of I don't have enough or I need more, I don't have security because I need more. Uh, the God of power gives you an identity. The God of sex gives you an identity. Whatever your God is, it will give you an identity. And if Jesus is your God, then he's going to give you an identity that's different from the old identity that you used to have, that's different than the identity that anyone else in this world could ever give you. It's the identity that he had for you before time began. And now he's able to lead you into that. The second thing that following after Jesus will do is to change the trajectory of your life. Levi should have spent the rest of his life in that tax booth, extorting other people, making his money. Might have been murdered by one of the zealots in a guerrilla attack. Far from God, being hated and despised by other people. But when he decided to take the step of following after Jesus, the entire trajectory of his life was changed. And he went to become someone who followed Jesus. He saw the miracles. He saw the blind eyes open. He saw the lame get up and walk. He was there when Jesus was crucified and died. He saw the risen Savior. He saw the holes in the hands of Jesus. He saw the ascension. He heard the command for the Great Commission. He went out and he was a part of healing other people. He was a part of proclaiming the good news of Jesus. He planted churches as an apostle. And his life went so far as he was actually able to travel to Africa, something in Ethiopia, where he was then martyred as he preached the gospel to people who had never heard it before. That guy did good. Because if it had just been up to him, staying where he was at of his own device, his own plans, he would have stayed in that tax booth, and that would have been his whole life. But when you follow after Jesus, he will take you into things that are bigger than you ever could have imagined, things that are more significant than you ever could have dreamed of for yourself, that will advance the kingdom and the cause of Jesus Christ across this earth in ways that you never could have done on your own. What I am doing right now is not of my own making. This was not the trajectory that my life was on. I was the shy kid who tried to avoid people, who just wanted to sit in my room and play guitar and video games. And, you know, I, if, if it wasn't for Jesus miraculously stepping into my life and calling me to follow after him, I would be the 37-year-old blogger sharing a studio apartment with four other guys and playing Halo. Like, that would be my life right now. But Jesus changed the trajectory of my life and led me into things I never wanted to do, first of all. I had no idea how much fun it would be doing what I'm doing now now. And I had no idea the way that God would use me, not because of me, but because I'm just following after him and he's leading me into everything that he created me for. And then number three, it'll redeem your history. Following after Jesus will redeem your history. Levi was supposed to represent God to people. He was supposed to minister to God. He was supposed to minister to other people. But he had walked away from that. He had disqualified himself from that. There was nobody on the face of this earth that would have said, oh yeah, tax collector, why don't you tell me about God and his plan and his purpose and his blessings? Like, you're certainly the one that should be telling me about that. 
Our culture looks for ways to disqualify you from what it is that God's called you to do. And every single one of us, we've all done things that disqualify ourselves. But when Levi decided to step out of the place of just belief and into the place of following after Jesus, Jesus led him back into what he was always supposed to have been doing. Listen, there's a call that God has for you. There's plans and purposes. There's a destiny that he created you for. You were uniquely made. It says that you were fearfully and wonderfully made, that God knit you together in your mother's womb. You aren't random chance. You aren't accident. But there was intent and there was purpose that God created you for. He looked at the world we live in and said, we need a you. This broken world needs a you. To bring my blessing to it. But what happens is we disqualify ourselves from that pretty fast. And our friends and family and neighbors are pretty quick to point that out to us. This is what I should have done. This is what I wish I could have done. But I blew that. Jesus comes to you. Sets you free. Says, follow after me and I'm going to lead you into redemption as you're able to be restored into doing everything that I made you to do. It doesn't matter. You might have been extorting people and abusing people, but I made you to be a blessing to them and to proclaim my name to them. So I'm going to restore you back to that. That's what Jesus will do in you. It's what he's done in me. It's what he does in every single person who follows after him. But it takes us making that decision that we're going to follow after him. We can't just be belief anymore. We can't just stay here anymore. Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Just this one step today. Tomorrow I'm going to take one more step after you. But I'm going to keep following after you and believe that you're going to lead me into restoration. You're going to lead me into freedom and healing and redemption. And that you're going to give me a new identity. That you're going to change the trajectory of my life. And that you are going to redeem my history. Now, when I lived in Tennessee for a couple of years, um, you know, I was in a band trying to be a rock star. And it turns out I'm not that good at it. Uh, like everybody else that moves to Nashville. turns out that's not what I did. Uh, but when there were shows, it was a lot of fun. And then when there weren't shows going on, you're just a man-child. You have a big boy body, but you have the mentality of a teenager still. And so you just try to find things to occupy your time. So one day, uh, we had horses, and we were at TSC getting some supplies for them. You're like, the chirp, chirp, chirp. Like, if you've ever been in there in the spring, and you hear all, like, the chickens and ducks and stuff. And so I'm like, oh, my gosh, we totally need ducks. And so I bought two ducks, and my bandmates are like, Jeremy, like, you're so stupid. Why did you buy ducks? What are we supposed to do with them? And I'm like, they're ducks. They're just cool. Like, why don't you want ducks? I don't understand how you cannot want ducks. And so I kept them in a little box in my room because they were really tiny. And uh, they're like, cheep, 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 all night long. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, maybe this was a bad idea. And they got a little bit bigger. And so I remember one day, like, I put them in the sink. We had this deep sink, and they were just really tiny. And they started swimming around. So like, I could not believe how fast these little tiny ducks could swim around. And they're splashing, and they're diving in a sink and having the time of their life. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is so awesome. Like, this is what they're made to do. I'm getting a glimpse of the future of these ducks, and I'm in awe of the way God made them and what it is that they're doing. And then they got a little bigger, and I put them in the bathtub. But then they got too big for the bathtub. And so I said, all right, ducks, like, it's time. It's time for you to become who you were made to be. And so I take them outside to this nasty, scummy pond that we had. It was, it's like in the hills of Tennessee, and people didn't care that much about the environment or anything else there. So it was like tires in the pond and, like, oil sheen over the surface of the pond and, like, scum and just nasty disgustingness. But they're ducks, right? So, like, who cares? And so I take them out there, and I'm like, I want to see you guys, like, do this thing. Like, become who you were meant to be. Like, go. 
don't fly away from me, but like swim. And so I take them out there, and they're, like, they're following me out to the pond. It's so cute. I'm their daddy duck. So I walk out there to the edge of the pond, and I'm like, all right, guys, like go. And I'm like waiting for them. They're just like pecking around at June bugs and stuff on the, the edge of the pond. I'm like, no, go in the water. You're made to swim. Like, go in the water. Like, nope. And so, like, I pick them up and, like, set them in the pond and they run back out. And I'm like, oh my guys, I'm like throwing bread into the pond and they don't care. So finally I pick them up and I'm like, <laughs> and, like, they landed on the surface of the water and, like, walked across water like Jesus all the way back. I'm like, what on earth? Like, you were made for this. Why won't you swim? And for several days I'm doing this, trying to take them out there. You're made to swim. Go and do that which you were made to do. And finally one day, I realize as they're following after me, like, oh my gosh, I have to go in that pond. So I prayed. God, don't let me die. It's like I stripped off my outer clothing and stepped in, and it was gross. It looks like the water's that deep. There was that much water and like that much muck that like you sank into. And it's like between your toes and I have a weird thing about that anyways and I'm just like, but these ducks gotta be who they were made to be, right? So I go out there and finally I get out there and it was like, you know, up to my shoulders and I'm a little deeper, I'm treading water. The ducks, they just come swimming right out. They start diving and splashing and playing, and I got out of that pond as fast as I possibly could. And it's been a, I think I've told that story before, and I always just thought it was kind of funny and everything. Yesterday, like I wasn't planning on using that story at all. And God brought it back to my memory. Because that's what I did for you. I knew who you were made to be. You know, these little glimpses that you could see of yourself, like your that little duck in the sink, some glimpses of what I made you for, some glimpses of what I made you to be and to do. That's beautiful because it's who I made you to be. But you couldn't get out into the fullness of that on your own. So I came and I stripped off my rights I stripped off the privileges that I have as God and I entered into the filth of humanity. The pure, oh holy, just, perfect God, worshiped and adored by angels, stripped down and came as one of us. He was abused, he was mocked. The King of heaven, who we were supposed to follow, the king of heaven who made us as his image bearers to expand his kingdom across the face of this earth. He came to us because we rebelled against him. And when he came to us, instead of repenting and following after him, we killed our king on the cross. He stepped into the filth of humanity so that he could lead us into being who it was that we were always made to be. Because when he jumped into our filth, into our pond, he said, come now and follow after me. 
We never would have followed. We never would have been able to do what it was that he made us to do if it weren't for the fact that he had come to us and he'd humbled himself to that level and jumped in and said, come and follow after me. And we started swimming and we're coming after him. And as we do that, we become more and more of the beautiful creation that you were always meant to be, doing the things that God made you to do, the, the inklings and the dreams that might have been in your heart but that you disqualified yourself from, you hadn't been able to do because of the bonds of sin over you. Jesus came and he broke every one of those over you by his death on the cross and now he leads you into freedom he leads you into restoration he leads you into redeeming the call and the purposes and the plans that he has for you but it only happens as you follow him you can't stand on the shore anymore you can't just believe that you're a duck you just can't believe that he's daddy duck you have to get into that pond and follow after him as he leads you and as you do that as you step out as you follow after him you become everything that he made you to be but belief is never enough. We have to follow. The call of Jesus is believe in the gospel and now follow after me. Would you stand with me this morning? Maybe this morning you've never believed the gospel that Jesus is the son of God, the good king who came to restore you back to the way that you were always supposed to be, the good king who loves you so much that he would go to the cross for you to set you free and redeem you. And this morning, that's where it starts for you. Maybe the Holy Spirit's been stirring something up inside of your heart as I've been speaking that causes you to believe. That first step is, Jesus, I believe. I believe you're the son of God. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins that now I can have relationship with you. And now, based out of that belief, I follow after you. Maybe you've believed for a long time, but you stayed in that same place of where Jesus met you at. And instead of following after him, you stayed there. And some of the chains and some of the bondage started to come back over you and started to trap you again. Jesus has broken those chains now and forevermore. You just have to start walking after him and those chains will fall. Those chains will break over your life. He already paid the price for your freedom on the cross. Now he's just calling you to step out from the place where he found you at to walk after him and to becoming everything he made you to be. Maybe you've been following him for a while, but you came to some point where this was, the, this was the line, I can't follow after you anymore. Maybe it was a disappointment that you had. Maybe it was a hurt that came into your life. Maybe it was a sin issue that developed that you weren't able to move past. Whatever it is, if you found yourself, if you've become stagnant and following after Jesus and you're not growing anymore in him, you're not growing in restoration relationally with him and with others and in his plans and purposes and calling for your life, then he's still right there. He's still calling you follow after me. He's not mad at you because of that. He's not disappointed. He's just the father who's calling you. Come on, one more step. Come on, one more step. Follow after me. Wherever it is that you are this morning, Jesus is saying, follow me. Here's the thing, with every eye open, no heads bowed. This morning, if you want to go from belief into the place of following after Jesus, on the count of three, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have you raise your hand. If you can't, uh, it's just a sign of faith. If you had Jesus, I'm taking the stand. This is, what I'm, this is the line I'm crossing over. And the reason I want you to raise your hand is with everybody looking around is because it means that you have to do something. It's giving you that first step of boldness to follow after him. If, if you don't have the boldness to raise your hand around a bunch of Christians who are your family, 
then you're probably not going to have the boldness to follow after him when you get outside around some people that might be hostile towards your faith. But this morning, if you hear Jesus who's come to you, he says, follow after me. And you know that you need to follow after him, that you haven't been doing it, on the count of three, we're going to raise our hands. Jesus, I'm following after you. One, two, and three. Shoot those hands up. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing. Thank you for that. Now, here's what I want you to do. If you're around someone that's been raised, keep your hand up. There's a lot of you. Gather up. Like, if you're near someone with a hand raised, put your hand on them. We're going to pray over each other. We're going to pray for each other. And maybe it's just a couple of people have their hands up together. You can pray for each other in the same place at the same time. Yeah, let's gather up. Let's pray. Let's pray this together. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your love. I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe you died for my sins. I believe that you rose again from this day forward. I'm following after you. Jesus, give me the strength. Give me the boldness. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so that I can follow after you. Lead me into freedom. Lead me into rest. I want to know you. Make me a new creation. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Hey, Jesus met with you this morning in the place that you were at. And you didn't feel condemnation. You didn't feel guilt. You didn't feel shame. So never go back to that place of where you do. Here's what the Holy Spirit is going to do. He's going to convict you. The Holy Spirit will convict you. What that means is that there will be something, like with me driving down the road trying to murder old ladies in my head. The Holy Spirit is like, you animal. Like, what? You're not even saved. That's what other people would say. How are you a pastor? Oh. Holy Spirit says, you're made for more than that. Let's work on that heart thing that you've got going on so that you can become everything I made you to be. That's the way the Holy Spirit works in your life. The devil will come and sometimes he'll try to be the Holy Spirit. You horrible, horrible person. I thought you followed Jesus. Like the lip smacking. That's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit won't ignore sin in your life, but he will lead you out of it. And he will empower you. And he will lead you into freedom not condemnation and guilt and shame. Reject that. Hear the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to you, calling you to more, calling you to be everything he made you to be. And go after it. Follow Jesus today. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, follow Jesus. Tuesday morning when you wake up, follow after Jesus because he's still speaking. He's still calling. He's still loving. He's still leading you into more than you ever imagined. He's still giving you a new identity. He's still changing the trajectory of your life and he's still redeeming your history. Follow after Jesus. I'm going to have my prayer partners come forward. If there's anything that we can pray with you about, maybe today you decided for the first time that you wanted to follow after Jesus. 
uh, we would love to pray with you and encourage you. We have a free book we want to give you as a way to, to help you in this new journey. We'd love to set up, get a coffee with you, just hear your story, what's going on in your life. Uh, we want to be there as a support. When you made a decision to follow Jesus, what you might not have realized is you just got a whole big family. And we'll all be over for lunch. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but we're your brothers and sisters now. And brothers and sisters encourage each other. They support each other. They believe in each other. They call the best out of each other. And we want to do that for you. So if we can pray for you, come and let us know. Or maybe you're a little bit shy. you got to get to Mother's Day. You can text I Decided to 97,000. And there's this little text back to just ask you for your name and address. We can send that book out to you. We just want to do everything we can to help you in that new decision that you've made to follow after Jesus. <clears throat> also, one other thing. Uh, if if uh, you're a mother here, you're here with your family, whatever, we have a little photo wall set up in our cafe. And uh, we would love to take a family photo for you. We'll put the digital version up on our uh, Facebook page uh, this week, and you'll be able to get that. But then also we're going to get prints made of all of them that we'll be able to pick up in a couple of weeks. We just want to bless families and moms. And here's the other thing, too. I know some of you, you're here on your own. You're separated from your mom, maybe a bad relationship with your mom, or, or you know, whatever might have happened. Uh, we have a church mother, and her name is Sybil Faulkner, who probably every one of you know. Sybil's back there. Sybil, can you raise your hand? We're in the green and white. She'll be your mom today. And she would love to get her photo taken with you. So go out there, get some photos of your family or with Sybil. Enjoy Mother's Day. Moms, you're awesome. We love you so much. And if you're new here today, we forgot this earlier. We'd love to know that you were here. Stop by Guest Central. We have a free little gift for you as a way of saying thanks for being here. We want the opportunity to meet you. Come let us pray. Go get your pictures taken, drink some coffee, and we'll see you next week. God bless.